So again, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, before we jump into that, I know it says 1 through 9, but really chapters uh, chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6 and verse 9 is talking about God-centered relationships. Um, were there any additional comments or questions that we all had about that before we jump into this section? Basically, what we're going to be doing for today and Wednesday is is uh, finishing up the book with chapter 6. And so if we don't get through all of verse 20, that's perfectly fine, because otherwise we have four verses to do on Wednesday where Paul basically says, you know, good to see you. Um, no, I don't want to diminish that. There's some good stuff in there. I'm just not sure if there's an entire class worth of stuff in there. So... Uh, what I wanted to do is go through verses 10 through 20, and if I could have a volunteer to read that whole section. I hear a lot of throats being cleared. Are you guys ready? Who's going to do it for us? Ryan, thank you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. <coughs> Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to Thank you. So let's break this down into a, a couple of different sections before we start talking about the specific elements of the armor that we're supposed to put on. Uh, verses 10 through, 10 through 13, really. Um, let's do 10 through 12, and I realize that says 10 through 2. I woke up early to put these together. So if there are words, entire words missing, missing, that's why. Um, 10 through 12, what sobering realities are described in this section? And how is understanding these uh, realities essential to our spiritual walk? Because we kind of, we, we talk about spiritual warfare and we talk about putting on the army, uh, putting on the armor. But what are these realities that we need to understand before we start talking about the, the specific pieces? The devil's a real enemy. The devil is real. And that is, is an unpopular notion to many in our culture. We, we don't like thinking about the fact that there is a being more powerful than we are who is pure evil and set out for our spiritual destruction. What else do we understand here? Yeah. A real battle 
is in a realm that we can't see with our eyes. Yes. So first of all, there's a battle going on, right? This is not just, as some would like to take the Bible, general rules for good living. These are instructions. These are military objectives, right? Think of the Bible in those terms because we are at war. But we're at war, like you said, with things that we can't see or touch, things that we don't perceive with our normal senses, but they are just as real. And I'll be honest, you read uh, verses like verse 12 and other places in Scripture, they are terrifying. These are not these are not those invisible fairies in the garden that like are, are fun to see sometimes during springtime. Like these are real spiritual forces that are set on our destruction. And they are powerful. Which again is is something that we don't we don't like to think about. We don't like to think about that there are beings more powerful than humans. The, the whole theory of, of evolution hinges on that, right? We are the epitome of evolution. There's no one wiser or stronger or better than we are. And yet God is telling us there are, there are beings and there are forces out there that are powerful and we are at war with them. And so thinking about the idea of this being a warfare that is not physical... What are some conclusions that we can draw from that idea? And we're going to dig into this a little bit more. If our warfare is not physical, it's not against a physical enemy, but a spiritual one, how does that change our perspective when we interact with people? Lloyd, and then... We need someone or somebody in that realm to help us. Yeah. We need someone who understands both the spiritual and the physical... And has power and authority over both, right? Jill? Um, when we see people or entities doing evil, um, we can't look at them as the source of the darkness, but rather being enslaved to the darkness. Yes. And this is tricky because I, I don't want to make it sound like what we're saying is that Satan controls people and Satan controls nations. And so we're not... We're not opposing people because they're really just under the, the control of Satan. That's not, that's not biblical. We all have free will. But we are told that Satan is the one orchestrating these things for his, his purposes. And so when we interact with individuals, are we willing, as we should have done in these relationships, when we talked about wives and husbands and masters and slaves, to look beyond them and not not get so stuck on the individual, but look beyond them and think what what is what is happening here to affect this kind of conflict? Who who's really at work when I'm a, you know at opposition with my brother or sister? I saw another hand. Was it Brad? Um, yeah, just just the idea that <coughs> we are in at war just kind of changes the perspective, or, or it should, right? Like. If you were walking down the street and you thought at any moment somebody could jump out and mug you, um, you would probably be like really vigilant, right? Mm-hmm. And Peter says, "Be vigilant, yes, because a roaring lion is is devour is going to devour you." But to your question, there, um, 
you'll probably have Second Corinthians ten um, in, in mind. But um, <laughs> though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets <laughs> itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I think one of the things when we encounter people, when we're going through this life, the thing we're vigilant on is ideas that are opposed to what we see in Scripture and Mm -hmm. opposed to God. And those are the things that we we're fighting. We're fighting those those ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why do... uh, to, to play off of that, why in the past have man ha, have men gone to war with each other? What are some reasons why people may go to war with each other? Greed. Greed. Power. Power. Territory. Right, they're trying to take over lands, right, which plays with greed. Avenge uh, a wrong. Right, maybe they've been uh, affronted or offended, some wrong has been done to them, and so they're going to go and, and fight against, in fact, David was willing to do that with Nabal, right? Freedom. I'm sorry, not Nabal, but... Nabal. Nabal. Uh, I'm sorry. Freedom and liberty. Yes, sometimes people will fight, physically fight, for good things, right? And they're willing to go out and... And kill and be killed for for good things. But what does this passage say that we are fighting for? Are we fighting for territory or resources or vengeance? Any of those things? We are attempting to destroy strongholds, but not physical structures or nations or borders or boundaries. We are fighting against arguments and opinions and thoughts and trying to turn those things from the enemy's camp into Christ's. And so it is a change of mindset because sometimes, and we see it in our culture, not just in this culture, but in every culture, we, we have the temptation to blend those two things together. I'm fighting a holy war we may say in the past, therefore it's okay that I slaughter people in the name of, of Christ. Or I'm trying to recapture what was once God's people's land, so it's okay for me to cut a swath of destruction through other nations in order to get there. Is that what God called his people to do? We live in a country that offers us religious freedom, and it's wonderful. And we are blessed because there are many countries that don't get to enjoy that. But is the objective to hold this land to the last man? Sarah? Along that line, I find it interesting that in Second Corinthians there, it says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Yes. Whose thoughts are we talking about? Ah. Talking about our own thoughts. Correct. Because I can't, I can't take your thoughts, right? I can't, I can't make you think a certain way. So there's no amount of spiritual or physical warfare that I can participate in to get you to change your mind. I'm supposed to take my own thoughts captive and and conform them to to Christ. And so it's it's only when we keep the true mission in mind 
that we can resist the temptation to make this battle something that it was never intended to be. We are not out to reclaim a land or an ideal here on this physical world. What's going to happen to this physical world? It's it's all going to be destroyed in, in the judgment. What we are called to do is to save people, to bring people from the camp of the enemy into into God's camp. Um, and in order to do that, we have to properly equip ourselves. I saw, yeah, yeah. Even though this is kind of intimidating, I guess, to think about it being so big and outside of our understanding, it's also really freeing to me because if I think everything here is physical warfare... It becomes overwhelming. It feels like a job I need to do. Mm-hmm. But when I think it's spiritual warfare, maybe this isn't the truth for everybody, but it's easier for me to just trust that God has that when I think of it as spiritual instead of physical. Yeah. So that this is both a little out there, but also extremely comforting. Right, and I don't I don't think it's a truth just for you, for you to find comfort. That it's why in verse ten he says, "Be strong in your own self righteousness and your own ability, because you'll be the one to." No, it's in the strength of the Lord. Um, it, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. That that relieves quite a bit of pressure. I'm not going to win this battle. We are not going to win this battle. He has already won this battle. And so we can be strong in His strength. We're, we're not going to do this ourselves. Did I see another hand, David? Yeah. Back in First Corinthians ten, there in verse five, we re- we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So we're fighting those that would say there is no God and would try to, you know, destroy any concepts of God. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely those in the world, and there are there are even countries that do that. I mean, right. China, I've been there, and I've talked to some people, and they've become convinced that they have risen above religion. Hmm. You know, they'll say, yeah, you worship God, that's a crutch that you need. We've gone beyond that. Right. And we're fighting for the knowledge of God. Yeah. You know, we're defending God here on earth. Yeah, and so we're not called to to take over China, right. you know, and make them all submit to the will of God. No, we are called to go to those people, however we can, and convince them with with the truth of the gospel. Um, as we go through the different elements of this armor, pay attention to to how they're described. It will give us the idea of what kind of uh, engagement we are called to in this battle. Chris, did I see your hand? Yeah, I'm a little confused. I'm assuming you'll straighten this out. <laughs> that's that's a big assumption. <laughs> well, I mean, we've always thought, right? You know, I always had just the concept that the devil's the only bad guy, you know, out there. But here we have rulers, authorities, cosmic yes. powers, and uh, authorities. Yes. What is the one? Spiritual, yeah, forces. Um. <laughs> yeah. Who are they? Uh, I I will not clear that up for you. Um, I don't know, but what I can say is, <laughs> yeah, the prayer class is downstairs. By all means, but they are real, right? They are not described 
in detail in Scripture. But they are described um, in the fact that they are real. In the same way that earlier in Ephesians, it says that spiritual beings observed the working of God in the church and glorify Him because of what they see. There are spiritual beings that have power and authority that are also observing us and engaging with us. Um, how does what does that look like? How does that work? It demonstrated itself in a fairly unique way in, in the first century, where they literally took possession of, of human beings. And please don't ask me too many questions about that. Um, does that still happen today? I'm not sure. Do spiritual beings infect our thinking to make us behave contrary to God? Not against our own will, but get us to think in ways and then act contrary to God? Yes, we're told that that's how Satan works. And he clearly has other powers and authorities that do the same. Um, so you're right. It's not just we've got this one enemy and we need to be mindful of him. He clearly has people at his, or people, <laughs> he has beings at, at his disposal. It's why we are to keep alert in, in verse 18 with all perseverance. Um, we're, we're supposed to be watchful because these these kinds of attacks can come in a variety of ways. Um, so if I were to think of them as demons, is that a way I mean, those, is that what other people think? Is that, I mean, I'm not sure if that's what other people think. That's how the Bible describes them in, in some ways. The Look. devil and his angels, his... Demons, there was a man infected with a legion of them. Right. And I don't, I, I, I don't know exactly how that happens, but I do know that when Jesus approached him, Jesus and his power and his might overcame that. And so th- there are times where <clears throat> where we try to start contemplating these these spiritual realities, and I, and I liken it to trying to drink from a fire hose. Like you turn that thing on, will you get some water in your mouth? Yes, but it will not be very effective, and you're gonna—you just won't understand it. I think if God were to have attempted to explain to us the extent of the spiritual realities, we would just be—we would just be blown away by it. But what He does share with us, I believe, is enough for us to understand they're real, they are powerful, they are evil. And they are out to destroy us. And Craig, they have a plan. And they're not stupid, right? They so they have an objective and a plan. Again, since I know it's not physical, I'm okay. Yes. I'm okay. And we're going to talk about, uh, after we, we watch a clip of um, Bible Study Without Borders, we're going to talk about how Satan himself is described in this passage. What can we know about our enemy? Because we can't truly attempt to defeat our enemy unless we know our enemy. Um, so we are we are told more about Satan, at least, um, than we may realize. Did we have any other hands? All sorts of hands before we watch the video. Sarah. And I suspect that one aspect of God not sharing all this information or making it, in one sense, even possible to know all of the little details about... You know, the third rank demon can do this, but the fourth rank can't. Yeah. Um, is that? I mean, think about how much people argue over little details of other things. If we're going to get caught up in the controversies related to demonology, as well as angelology, uh, you know. Yeah. 
it, yeah, it, it could it could good. potentially be a distraction, right? Where we get so interested and invested in the enemy um, that we lose sight of the fact that we are in opposition to them, right? Um, First John uh, chapter four. Mm-hmm. Spirits, yes. Your false prophet, you know, fairy spirits, basically telling you that if, if they don't confess God, mm-hmm. they're not from God. Right. Yeah. And you think of, I mean, you think of the story of Job and and how God interacted with Satan there and, and Satan's objective was he was roaming to and fro on the earth. Um, he's busy, he's active, he has a plan, right? And and we need to be mindful and, and wary of him. Any other hands before? Yeah. One thing also that we have to consider too is that our minds can't comprehend the spiritual things because can we real, realize forever and never and never right. that we're being with God? Can we believe God is everywhere? You know, we <coughs> can't grasp the whole principles of right. some of God's word. Yeah. And you know what? The one who made our minds believes that this is enough for us to know. So I'll trust him. That if he, if he intended for us to know more, he would have given it to us. But he knows the limits of our understanding. Um, and so I'm going to trust him. Um, I, once, I once tried to start making a, a short film about... Uh, angels interacting with human beings and I eventually gave the thing up because there's so little that we know in scripture about those beings I didn't want to misre- <coughs> misrepresent God um, and I finally was like you know we're not told a whole lot about spiritual beings on either side really and that needs to be okay with us Luke so I will tentatively take up Chris's question awesome thank you point. there does seem to be I think we've got this view the the other the spiritual plane in which there are angels and God and that's pretty much it you know and the devil and I think it's more complicated than that mm-hmm. and if you look in the Old Testament there are hints of this and Psalm eighty two would be a good example of this we're talking about God standing in His assembly again this is how it reads in the midst of Elohim He renders judgment well Elohim means God's right we said well there's no other thing one God but that word right. sometimes means the plane of existence of another creature right this is used sometimes it's used for Samuel at one point after he's dead and he then goes on and I don't think he's talking about false gods because he then declares judgment against them he said how long will you make unjust legal decisions and show favoritism of the wicked and then he goes on he said I thought verse 82 verse 6 you are gods all of you are sons of the most high yet you will die like mortals and you will fall like other rulers and and he, he referred so he's saying here that these Creatures had had not done their job, and so he's going to cause them to go from being immortal to mortal. You're going to die like men, or die like mortals. So there seems to be another category in that that sometimes we we miss. It doesn't come up a lot. To your point, no, it doesn't. It's not one of those things where it's super clear and obvious. But it seems to some passages. I think it's just a little more complicated than you think. That might explain some of these these categories that Paul talks about. Correct. And uh, in Jude, 
verse 6, it does speak about angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Let's not go too far into that, but look, there apparently are spiritual beings who also have a level of free will that can choose to either do as God has instructed them or not, and they'll be punished in in different ways. And so... um, yeah, we certainly won't get through all of this today, which is fine. You're welcome. Um, thanks, Chris. Yeah. Did you? I mean, the prayer class is really cool downstairs. I've been told. So, all right, couple more questions in regards to spiritual beings that I can't answer, and then we'll move on. And just that the last comment about you know the the, the bad spirits who are kept in chains. There does not seem to be a second chance for them, but there is for us. And I think we need to remember we have the opportunity to turn from that darkness, to stop being disobedient. Um, And those spirit beings probably don't. And we should consider ourselves fortunate and blessed that Christ died for us. As far as we know, that doesn't happen for those demons yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure but what i do know is what the first three chapters of ephesians has clearly stated all of the things that god did do for us so that we could have this relationship with us with him um knowing that even after accepting christ we are still under attack That it's not like, okay, well, I acknowledge I'm now an heir and I have an inheritance and I've been adopted and and that's wonderful and now I'm just going to coast on into heaven. No, we have now enlisted in the army of God and we will be engaged in battle until um, our portion, uh, our part in that battle is is over. Well, James says the devils believe and tremble. Right. Yeah, there's a knowledge of him, but not a willingness to obey him. And so I think we're told things like that so that we can look at that and say, okay, well, I'm told they're, they're going to be punished for their unwillingness to believe. I am going to learn from that mistake so that while I do have time, and, and our time on earth is in, you know, in relation to eternity is very short. We have a brief opportunity to in, engage in this warfare and get on the right side, um, and we need to take advantage of that. Yes, Bob? as difficult as this passage is, it kind of rates right up there with the Trinity, sometimes trying to think about things of the spiritual realm that once we apply all of our gray matter, we find ourselves direly wanting. We right. still don't understand. The neat thing in this in this text right here is he, he gives us that description as a backdrop and then narrows it down to one enemy, the one who shoots the flaming darts. Uh, and we have protection against that, yes. the faith, and we also have offensive weapons against that. Yeah. And still, we 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 take that description and actually just sum it up in in the devil, uh, yeah. in Satan, and the battle for the mind. This is a warfare for the mind. Yes, as Second Corinthians ten says too. Yes. So I think he starts by trying to get us to understand the spiritual reality that there are spiritual forces opposed to us that are stronger than we are. But he finishes 
this section by saying, but if you'll put on the correct armor given to you by a spiritual being who's stronger than they are, then we have no need to fear. So let's watch this clip here um, as Jeremy and Justin kind of break down uh, part of this. The goal of the strength that he's providing is to help me withstand the temptations of life that include these spiritual forces mentioned in verse 12. Right. Which are, it can be included in those spiritual forces back in chapter 2. Was it chapter 2 or chapter 3? Um, chapter 1 as well. He, he describes all throughout that first section the idea that there are spiritual yeah. beings that are watching. That's right. So cha- I was thinking chapter 3, verse 10. Um, that when these rulers, authorities in the heavenly places see the church, they're impressed with God's wisdom. So, multiple times in the book, he's referencing the reality of these beings. Right. Some of them are are friendly, some of them are not. These here in chapter 6 are not. But we serve a Lord that's victorious and superior. And what he's encouraging us to do with a, a focus on the gospel is to apply these these things in these ten verses to help us through each day. Yeah. And so just kind of walking down through them, he talks about the armor of God, uh, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, um, your feet being shod with a gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. So it's really easy to see with kids, especially with boys, that get a kick out of that military hardware. I think our boys were sword fighting yesterday. They were. And and the, the focus is on withstanding. So verse 11, stand against, withstand in verse 13. Having done all to stand firm, verse 14, stand, which is really, it fits the theme of this half of the book, our walk, our stance, our daily stance. So thinking down through those, those pieces of armor if you're ready to. Right. Um, well, well. Before we do that, sure. Let's throw this in. Um, the reason that we need to stand in the strength of His might. Uh, I think there is this idea that I am strong in the Lord, and that's true. But if we're not thoughtful about that, we will be overconfident in ourselves for sure. And we need to remember that we are weak, that we were dead, made alive in Him, and apart from Him, we can do nothing. John fifteen. Jesus makes that point. Uh, Martin Luther wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress. And there's a line in there. Over everything. Else. Yeah, and it, yeah. it describes uh, our ancient foe mm. who, who seeks to do us woe. Well. Yeah, and his craft and power are great. And he's, he describes him as, on earth is not his equal. And then he says in the next verse, I think, we're not the right one on our side. He, he, he's describing this enemy, the spiritual forces of darkness, who is beyond us. And I think sometimes, whether it's our depictions of a little guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, or some sleek southern lawyer, or whatever we picture Satan as, we we underestimate him. He has defeated every single soul that has crossed his path, save one. He's a roaring lion seeking seeking to be made about. We need the strength of this Lord if we're going to defeat him. So when he's saying stand in the strength of his might, he's not kidding. No offense to southern lawyers that may be here in in the class. (laughs) (laughs) But don't we do that? And we've seen depictions of that, right? We, We cartoon, like we turn Satan into a cartoon. And I think he loves that. 
where we we underestimate him by making him seem like someone who's who's not that impressive. Um, G- uh, Justin's point there. Satan has defeated, at least at some point, every human to cross his path except one. So I am not immune from him, and you are not immune. We are not immune from him. And there, there is a period in everyone's life where Satan has conquered over us. Now, for those of us who acknowledge Jesus and take advantage of the salvation that we have through him, um, we can go on to defeat him. So we cannot hope to defeat our enemy unless we first know our enemy. What are we told about our enemy in this passage? How else is our enemy described in Scripture? Well, while people think about that, uh, and maybe this is partly an answer to that, but Romans 8 um, talks about suffering, um, contrasted with the future glory, and in verse 31, he says, What are we going to say then if God's for us? Who can be against us? Who's going to bring any charge against us? In verse 33, um, uh, Jesus who died and was raised, he's there interceding us. So who's going to separate us? Uh, we face death all day long in verse 36 and are considered as sheep. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, the present or future age, powers, height, depth, anything at the end of verse 39, none of that is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So um, God loves us through all of those things. Um, And maybe that's one place in Scripture where God is the conqueror. Right. So as we consider the way that, that Satan is described, constantly reminding ourselves that however he's described, God is more powerful. God can conquer over that. Sarah. I mean, and one of the key thing that we know about the enemy is that he can be defeated. Correct. Not only that Christ has defeated him, but if we follow the battle plan that we're given and we have the armor on the way that we're supposed to, we can defeat the art of the enemy. I mean, our shield of faith can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Yeah, I mean, and that's one, that. If whenever an enemy looks completely um, invulnerable, finding out, oh, if you throw water on her, she'll melt. Right. You know that that helps. Yeah. Well, and just keeping in mind, he he has already been defeated. The the battle to determine um the destination of our souls has already been fought and won in the resurrection. And now it's just these it's just these skirmishes that are happening until uh, until the end. And so Satan is still fighting, but it's not like he'll be able to eventually amass an army or or execute a plan that will then actually defeat Christ. He's already been defeated. And so our tactic is simply to join ourselves with the one that has already achieved victory. Right, Sarah? I think that's interesting in that, how is he described, his name means the accuser. The accuser, correct. And combined with how he's already been defeated, he's still accusing us. And his accusations are 
true. They are. In light of Christ. Correct. So, in what ways may Satan choose to accuse us? What ways has Satan accused you? He brings up our guilt. He brings up, you know, the things we cannot go back and fix. He right. brings up that we're sinful yeah. and that we cannot save ourselves. Yeah. And this is all true. But is it? If Satan wants to bring back the memory of sins in our past and say, you're a terrible person. Think about what you've just done. Those things are still a part of you and you're wretched and you're terrible. Is that true? It's true that we can't save ourselves from that. It's true that we can't save ourselves from that. But do those things actually have any power over us anymore? No. Only if we let them. Well, yeah, only if we let it, but there's no, there's no power there anymore. Those things aren't, we've been told, we've been washed of those things. We've been told that God has separated those things from us as far as the east is to the west. So for Satan to accuse us of things that we are no longer guilty of, does he really have any power? It's only the power that we give him. Mark. Therefore, a lot of his accusations are lies. And isn't that interesting from someone who's described as the father of lies, right? He was a liar from the beginning, Jesus says. He can't really approach us with true things because we would conquer over that through the truth of of God. So what he has to do is scheme. He has to manipulate. He couldn't, he knew he couldn't come to Eve and say, I want you to eat that fruit because I want you to die. It's a terrible sales pitch. It never would have it never would have worked. But what he did was instill doubt in God, question God's motives to Eve, and change the instruction just by a word and deceive. Um, that's what that's what he does with us. I saw another hand before Ryan. C.S. Lewis uses a lot of like wartime illustrations since he you know, lived during the, the right. wars. And he described um, the Christian situation as being sort of an underground resistance in, in the occupied territory. And so you know, when you go to worship, it's like you're listening in on the secret wireless messages. Um, and the, the devil wants to prevent you from doing that. And he said mm-hmm. that someone will ask me, do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce us to our old friend, the devil, hooks and horns and all? And he says, well, what the time of day has to do with it, I don't know. And I'm not particular about the hooks and horns, but in other respects, my answer is yes, I do. I don't claim to know anything about his personal appearance, but if anybody wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't worry, if you really want to, you will. Whether or not not you like it when you do is another question. Yeah. Our culture wants to push him out of our minds, right? If we don't think about him, then he doesn't exist, and that, that isn't the truth. Yeah, Bob? The simplicity in Second Peter, the first chapter. So many of us are so familiar with that. And after Peter has told us how how we should add to our faith these things, I won't go through the list. But he said, if you do that, he doesn't even talk about falling to some military slaughter of you spiritually. He says you'll never stumble. Just stumble. You'll never stumble if we live like that. Mm-hmm. And as we continue in that, then he says in the next verse or two, an entrance to the eternal kingdom will be supplied to you abundantly. And that's not a perhaps, that's not a maybe, that's a for sure. Yeah, yeah.
So what about in this passage? Or in this, let's just stick to Ephesians. How has Satan been described thus far? Okay, he can disguise himself. He can use camouflage or disguise. He's a schemer. He's a schemer. How would you define that term? What does it mean to scheme? The the idea of him appearing as an angel of light, he doesn't come with the truth. He wants us to deny the truth. Yeah. (coughs) And it's terrifying to consider it, but Satan knows that if he were to appear in whatever form he has here in this doorway and say, come and follow me, how many of us would be like, yeah, I'm going to do that? He knows he's got to come with a different approach. And he's got to make himself appear appealing. He's got to offer something that we actually want. All he can truly offer is is death and destruction, but he's got to offer us something else to be attractive. So he's he's shrewd, as some translations render this in verse 11. He's scheming. Verse 12, I believe, implies that he is powerful, and we've already discussed this. Um He has power that's hard for us to comprehend. In verse 16, how is he described? Evil. Evil. And man, it'd be so easy if people could just be classified. (coughs) We would watch movies uh, a few years ago, and Ethan would always ask very early on in the movie, is that a good guy or a bad guy? (laughs) And the the cartoons and things that we'd show them early on, it was very clear, okay, this is a good guy and this is a bad guy. As they've gotten older and we've watched different things, sometimes it's harder to classify. Well, right now, they're acting kind of like a bad guy, but eventually they'll... Satan is evil. He is squarely in the bad guy category. And we must not question the fact that he does not have our good in mind. He, he doesn't want to see us succeed. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. Earlier in Ephesians, he's described as the prince of the power of the air. Um, he is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we talked about that earlier. I don't know exactly how that works. He doesn't overcome our free will, but he is working in those that are disobedient to God. Yeah. I appreciate that the darts he shoots are flaming. Um, he yeah. Can, he probably is trying for specific areas. Like if you think about a dart that's on, on fire, it's probably aiming for a certain part of somebody. But even if it doesn't exactly hit that, it might light something on fire around it and yes. still cause some pretty big damage. Like he doesn't really care specifically what kind of damage he causes as long as he's causing it. Right. Yeah. And and we'll, we'll get back to that when we actually talk about the shield. Um yeah, those flaming darts you wouldn't think would be terribly destructive, but it's the it's the long term damage that that flame and fire can do. Yes. Um, and our enemy is associated with darkness, uh, not with not with light, uh, like God is. So that whole contrast of darkness and evil and lust and deceit and yes. and, and yeah. But again, let's not forget that as powerful and as impressive and as intimidating as he may be, God is stronger. 
And so Satan is going to want us to believe that we must confront him on our own. If he can get us alone and get us to forget whose side we're on and whose armor we can equip ourselves with, he'll convince us that he's stronger than we are because he is stronger than we are. But we must not forget that the the one that we are fighting for and the uh, equipment that we've been given um, makes us stronger than than he is. Any other questions before we talk about the armor of God? We did three verses. Excellent. Cool. So let's talk about the belt of truth. Um, I know there are different translations of of this. What what is meant by the, the belt of truth? And why is that one of the, or is that the first thing um, that's listed as far as equipping ourselves? Sarah? So, having girded your loins with truth, the idea of girding up is to prepare yourself for battle. It's not, I mean, you have the picture of the flowing robes. And you gotta wrap them up so that you get ready to work. You don't, yeah. you don't go into battle with all of this stuff that you can, that's gonna be in your way when you try to move. Right. And, and that was true for both battle, but also just hard work in general. Get ready to work. Right? And so you're gonna use that, that belt or girding your loins in that way. Why truth? And whose truth? If you think about the first three chapters of uh, Ephesians, yes, here's the gospel truth. Here's what we have to keep in mind in order to overcome him. Yeah, the truth that we have a new identity in Christ. Yeah, because of him, we are different people than we once were, and that God has chosen us. Um, he has blessed us. He's adopted us. That that list that we keep going over and over again. That is the truth that we gird ourselves with. I don't know if, if you all get as annoyed when I keep hearing this phrase, um, my truth, I'm willing to share my truth, and we've just got to relish in my truth. I don't care about your truth. <laughs> I don't care about my truth. My truth is not something I'm going to gird myself with because I'll go out in that battle and get slaughtered because my truth is not the foundation that I want to build my armor on humans truth is not all you have to do is visit the website wikipedia and determine that truth changes as each person contributes to it that's not the truth that we're equipping ourselves with and the idea of this belt not only being the thing that helps us get ready for active work but a roman belt would be the thing that their tools and their weapons would hang on You can't put your sword on until you've got a belt on to hold it. And so the the sword of the spirit, it's not just some religious activity that you're going to fight with. It's the religious truth of God that that thing is is hanging on. I saw a hand somewhere. It just makes me think when you know truth, then evil stands out so boldly. And you, you don't need to know evil, because if you know truth, then you are you know when the evil comes. Right. Um, I've heard this example before, but it's true. When I worked at the bank when I was in high school, um, they they don't show you counterfeit money. They only, only show you the real thing. 
and then they say, if you know what this looks like, you'll know counterfeit money right away. Yes, absolutely. Um, and David, was it you who mentioned uh, the passage, test the spirits, right? Or someone did, Don, sorry. Um, you test them by, uh, first I know what is true, and everything else that may look really similar, that Satan may present to me and say, well, this is their truth. This is... I don't. I don't care about your truth, my truth. I care about God's truth, Lloyd. Oh, real quick, truth eliminates deception. A yeah. A real benign example is like a magic trick. If you know where the rabbit goes in this hat, then you're no longer deceived or impressed by yeah. this magic. And so, truth eliminates the devil's schemes. Yeah, it removes the power of the lie, doesn't it? All right, so we did one piece of the armor, which is completely fine. We'll do the rest of this and the rest of the chapter on Wednesday. I figured we'll finish verse 14 and we might.